most important thing to say about me is I am a social anthropologist and my main field research is done <coughs> in Cameroon, in Central Africa, well, Central West Africa, um, in a small village. It's all very, very classic. Um, old-fashioned anthropology. I'm not the first anthropologist to have worked there, but I am among the... Um, there aren't many. Um, one of the things I studied there, am studying there, because that's the other thing to say about that, is that I started in 1985. My last field trip was six weeks ago. Um, I have an ongoing research relationship, a series of research projects there, um, and I suppose I'm 15 years from retirement. Um, so, you know, in terms of kind of the um, demographic um, imperative or context, um, that's important to note. Working with speakers of Mambiloid, which is a non-Bantu Bantu language, um, it was very important to me to be able to do word processing in a non um, with a non-standard alphabet. And actually, an awful lot of my involvement in computers has stemmed from that very basic fact. It was not straightforward to write a dictionary. Um, now, with Unicode, an awful lot of these problems have been solved, but not all. But I would remind you that Unicode's only been around, uh, well, it's been mooted for 10 years. Um, it's been kind of, you know, to have standardly Unicode-compliant fonts um, is only about five years in. And I've got 25-plus years of research data. Um, the other thing I've been studying for a long, long time is divination. Um, there's a Java-based simulation online which has been verified, validated by the diviners I've been working with. Well, some of them are now dead. Um, but one of my line, I mean, this is a form of oracle which is made to is used to make hard decisions. Decisions like my child is sick, do I go to this hospital or that healer? Um, you know, um, it is used as evidence in court, um, in the chief's court, and follow, I have followed cases from the chief's court to the local assizes, um, and, which, and um, divination is the main form of evidence used to detect witchcraft, which is a criminal offence according to um, Clause 237 of the Cameroon Penal Code. So um, these are not... Um, these are serious matters, and I've used the, the simulation to try and get a better handle on how um, people make... Um, deal with actually ambiguous... Um, results. But the other thing is that I started to see divination systems, so of course I could have put Evans Pritchard and Witchcraft Oracles and Magic on the reading list. Um, uh, I started to see systems of divination as technologies of choice. And that's an interesting approach 
which has led me to see parallels with how people use all sorts of online systems. Most prosaically, you go into the library, or you, these days, of course, you don't go into the library, but you consult a library catalogue, and you are having to make hard choices because you are time-constrained. A choice to read one item is a choice implicitly not to read several others. So you are consulting a technology of choice, a catalogue, or JSTOR, index, whatever, and then you make decisions. Um, that has led me to do research on how people use library systems, which ultimately has led me to now be standing to be on the Oxford University Libraries Board. So if anybody can vote and hasn't voted, <laughs> you can vote for me. Um, so, um, that's one thing. And then the other was a idea about democratising. Um, giving access to people to material which was ha hard to access. Basically, I was able to meet the previous ethnographer who worked with Manbilla in 1953 and he very generously let me copy his photographs. I went to the field, he subsequently died. I'm gonna get, have I got the sequence right? I think I've got the sequence right. He subsequently died and his widow let me copy um, all his field notebooks most of which, the contents of which, have not been published. I was able to read them in the village where he did his research, which made, helped me make sense of them. And ultimately, I'm the best person to read them, I know, but they still actually um, have a lot of information to um, all sorts of um, people, Manbilla, um first and foremost among them. And... So when I was at University of Kent, we did a whole lot of stuff about trying to make material like that available long before, well, actually, word like open had been invented or reinvented by then, but um, it was still being discussed very, really only in terms of open software. And so ideas like open publication and open, let alone open data, hadn't been um, publicised. So there's something called ERA, which is the Experience Rich Anthropology Project, whose URL is era.anthropology.org.uk, I think. Um, but before I went to Kent, actually, I started messing around with some odds and ends from here and there were various technologies for using the internet there was Waze, there was Gopher and um, there was a newcomer called WWW and it was entirely unclear which of those had any longevity and I think I put some sound files out first on Gopher 
um, which I believe are the first sound files in a non-Indo-European language to be published on the internet. Um, I've recently. For those of you here, here are younger than the two of us. Know what Gopher is? It's it basically both ways <laughs> and Gopher are. They're very simple hypertext systems, internet-based, um, functionally equivalent to very early www. Um, and you sort of had to know where things were. Yeah. Uh, there was no easy way to surf it. There were lists of places that things were if you knew where to look, but you sort of had to know where you were going before you could find it. There was no searchability. You just, people had to tell you where stuff was hidden. Yeah, except because there were so few sites. <clears throat> well, there exactly. were. <laughs> um, I mean, there were lists that were fairly comprehensive. But it, it yeah, was, I mean, it was, comp- it was possible to think about writing a list of all, all the sites in the world. Um, and people used to do that. Um, and so I've been kind of messing around with those sorts of domains for a long time. Um, and that, I suppose, is enough of the background, really. But it's just that I've heard versions of some of the arguments which are around today using slightly different language. Um, for quite a long time. So that, that's all I'll say is in my introductory report, remarks. Right, next heading is about visual anthropology. Um, and it's really up to observe that there is a fundamental ambiguity when people talk about visual anthropology between the anthropological study of visual material and using visual means to do anthropological study. And it seems to me that that ambiguity applies completely if you cross out the word visual and stick the word digital in. And I don't think that people think enough about those two very, very different approaches. Because it seems to me one could do visual anthropology, sorry, digital anthropology, in which one's field data was recorded all on on paper with pencil. And... I'm not necessarily suggesting anyone does that, but as a... People slide from one meaning to the other, and I think we all tend to get confused, and that doesn't help. That's all I want to say about that for the moment. Um, My next heading is about... um, Malinowski and Argonauts of the Western Pacific. How many people here have actually read this or looked at it? (laughs) Yeah, people, okay. Right, there's two points I want to draw out from um, Argonauts of the Western Pacific. The first is that it is an, an argument that even a remote, even in... 1915 or whenever it was he was doing his research so during the first world war even a remote 
Pacific island is not an island, as it were. It, the whole point of that book is that these islands were all connected. So islands aren't islands, and actually, hey presto, it's, it's networks. So right from the beginning of field anthropology, anthropology has been concerned with networks. And the problem with studying distributed networks where all you can actually study is one little bit. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, okay. So um, that, I think that's an, all I need to say in, to this audience. Right, my next head, heading is about anthropological holism it's again one of those chestnuts that gets um, bandied about a bit Um, with a twist which is follow the money which comes from was it all the president's men wasn't it Marx oh well yeah it could be Marx but I think the line all the follow the money is from all the president's men it's from from a um uh, 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 I which, it's, it's from a film. Yeah, all, um, all the presidents men about Watergate. It was oh, yeah. Bob Woodward and yeah. thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the 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 deep throat, the yeah. mole, was saying, "Follow the money," yeah. Yeah. and it was all about signatures on checks. Then, yeah, you're right. Um, so. Anthropological holism means we should pay careful and respectful regard for how our informants see the world and how they talk about it. However, we should not be limited and restricted by this. One of the old, um, what do I want to say, kind of tensions points about anthropology is how people talk about the world how what they say they do is often different from what they actually do so when geeks and internet denizens whatever you want to call them if they disdain talking about things like money power politics and gender then it seems to me that that is interesting and it actually may be an interesting topic of research for all that it will make us unpopular and vulnerable of, to claims that, we're not, that, we do, that we've not understood what's going on. But especially if we... And this came up actually when we were talking the last time about um, the kind of global geography of Wikipedia, that who's paying electricity bills is significant and if people are rich enough not to have to worry about who's paying um, electricity bills that doesn't mean that itself is ethnographically interesting I, I, I did try talking about money once at a um, what was it it was I think it was an early open publication conference and people were just walking away from me um, very interesting. The one time I actually kind of, I was in the same room as um, as as Stallman, and uh, yeah, I mean Stallman doesn't have to worry about money because he's got a MacArthur a MacArthur <laughs> Genius Award. You know how privileged is that? But that means he has a very 
I suppose I want to say distorted view of the in economic environment. And, you know, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things, many interesting things about things like the development of Linux is the extent to which Microsoft and Sun, um, sorry, where do I say Sun, it's critically Sun d paying for it to be developed as a spoiler for Microsoft. Um, and, you know, so you've got hard business um, pol power politics coming in. And fine, we can all put lineups on our, on our machines, um, but, you know, it, it's wrong, I think, as anthropologists to um, ignore that those aspects. Okay, my next heading is about real virtual um, distinctions. I was very tempted to put um, Evans Pritchard's newer religion on the reading list as a key text for studying the virtual. Um, I, I didn't, because I don't think it's quite as helpful as um, Argonauts. But... Um, what I want to point out is that, well, not only the anthropology of religion, contentiously, um, theology has a few thousand years history of studying a different sort of the virtual. But it's a virtual. It's, you know, you've got humans talking about things that are not present, not visible, um, but have a key influence on how they live their lives. So, why isn't religion and mythology the study of these things? Don't those give us handles for how we study how people deal with, I don't know, second life or whatever? I mean, I don't think, I haven't looked at Bellasdorf's bibliography, but I don't think he cites those bits of, of, of anthropology. Um, and again, I think there's, it prompts us to think again about how we want to draw those real virtual distinctions. And, and we might well want to throw them out not because um, well because they're unhelpful I suppose is really what it comes down to um, and dealing with people um, and interacting with the sphere of religion is, what do I want to say here, is perhaps no different with dealing with people interacting with the sphere of the digitally virtual. Um, and I would be interested in ways in which one would want to explore where those differences lie, where the similar similarities lie. But yeah, that's enough on that. Um,
Okay. Next um, little topic is about historical myopia. So um, we were talking before we started a bit about why I like that shock of the old book. Um, it's about more. Yeah, I mean, my other heading is more new more new technologies again. The call of the new has been a topic of anthropological research for a long time. There is a huge history of in of anthropological research on things like millennial movements. There is a far, far longer history of humans declaring that um, they have been born again, that this is a brave new world, which, remember, um, is a quote from The Tempest. Right? Huxley stole it from Shakespeare. So, brave new world has been around for 400 years. Christianity, um, well, is you know, a very old, is a reasonably old millennial religion. There are, there are candidates for older ones. So if you are a practicing Christian, you think the world's changed and was sort of born again in approximately AD 33, I believe. Um, if you are a practicing uh, Muslim, it's, I had to look it up, I'm afraid, I'm sorry, 622 BCE. Um, and you know there are there's loads of people who say it's all new nothing in the past is relevant that is an interesting claim which is uh, deserves anthropological attention but as anthropologists we have to be both the ultimate um, we have to be, uh, what do I want to say? I've said this before. Um, we have to be both credulous fools and accept everything that our informants tell us, and also at the same time, this is the anthropological double think, the ultimate cynics. How you manage that double think is a real challenge. But when people say it's all new, nothing about the past is relevant, fascinating. And yes, we agree, but at the same time, we say, well. You know, you're still trapped in this kind of wet wear body and you've still got to pay your electricity bills. Um, so I think these assertions of newness actually would be a fascinating anthropological subject of research. So try to investigate the boundaries that people are drawing rather than taking those boundaries for granted and that's the the twist the 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 trick the challenge i suppose um and i've okay i have sort of um that sort and that's why i end up with where I started, which was to say it's better to start from a position of the same than from a position of difference.